Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is to provide concise and relevant information for busy hospice and palliative care leaders and staff. We understand your busy schedules and believe that brevity signals respect. And now, here's our host, Chris Como. Hello and welcome. Our guest today on TCN Talks is Dr. Harry Feliciano. He's the former senior medical director for Palmetto GBA and Rhonda Oaks, who's a certified hospice and palliative care nurse serving as a community clinical liaison at Four Seasons. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, it's good to have you both. Well, first off, uh, Dr. Feliciano, what does our audience need to know about you? Well, uh, Chris, I am a trained geriatrician, but also have uh, uh, credentials for preventive medicine and public health. So it's sort of knowing the clinical side of medicine and now knowing the population side of medicine and the fact that I was a senior medical director for Medicare for about 25 years. So know a lot about medical review, a lot about medical policy. And Dr. Feliciano, I don't want to get too personal, but I do. you recently went through um, a family caregiving situation. I don't know if you'd want to speak to that at all. Just first off, my condolences to you and your family, but you shared some stuff with me and um, I just thought, wow, you know, Dr. Feliciano to go through a caregiving situation. And I don't know anything you want to say about that. Sure. Um, and as you mentioned, I uh, recently lost my stepfather to heart failure. Um, and it's, it's, it's challenging to go through the process from the caregiver end of things and understanding what the system's supposed to do and what actually happens. And I guess suffice it to say, there was a good that I had knowledge about what hospice and palliative care is supposed to be, uh, because communication was less than it wasn't. It wasn't optimal, but in the end, he received everything that he required. I've told some parts of your story to a couple of folks who I think you'd be okay with, almost as a rallying cry for us to to do better. Um, but I'm glad at the end he still got good care. Well, Rhonda, welcome to you. And what does our audience need to know about you? I'm certified hospice and palliative nurse. Right now I'm serving as a community clinical liaison at Four Seasons. Um, last 25 years, I have devoted to advocating end-of-life care. And part of that, I have been weaving in classification systems. Um, I have had the opportunity of helping with a, it's called a taxonomy project for the International Council of Nurses, where we actually published a catalog called Palliative Care to Promote Dignified Dying. And that is actually part of the International Classification of Function um, Nursing Practice. I also worked with the Omaha system. She's actually the creator, Karen Martin, and served on her board. And I um, actually got to book reviews on the Omaha system. Um, that's a more of an interdisciplinary classification system, which I appreciated coming from a hospice background versus international classification of nursing practice, of course, is only for nurses. And then my true love would be uh, working with different hospices, software vendors with the International Classification of Functioning Disability and Health. Um, I got a chance to do some palliative care input for something that McKesson Corporation initially developed called Interqual 3. Uh, that's a uh, basically just an evidence-based clinical decision support solution. So working with consulting companies, working with hospices, and getting in that functional status using a standardized uh, taxonomy. Well, well, I, 
I don't know if I get the credit, but I feel like I'm getting the band back together again. So, um, <laughs> so Dr. Felice, I know, and Rhonda, Rhonda, we sat down for lunch. Oh, my gosh. It probably would have been 2005, 2006. And, um, and then Dr. Felice, and I think not long after that, maybe within the next year, you end up becoming the chief medical officer um, at Palmetto. And so why I got both of you back together um, is we, I've been involved in some interesting discussions about redesigning the hospice benefit. It's been a beautiful benefit for 40 years. And how do we redesign it in the future? And part of when people talk about redesigning the benefit, one of the things that they just kind of lament is these audits. There's just consistent audits. And if someone kind of beats you with the stick, they're like, you got to take the stick away. And it's, well, the patient didn't die within six months. And so if you're going to redesign the benefit, and that's when actually our good friend of yours, Dr. Feliciano, Jeff Lichen, our good friend of both of yours, actually, he's like, you need to get Dr. Feliciano and Rondo on, on your TCN talk show. So that's really, so Jeff gets all the credit for bringing us all back together today. And so we, Rhonda just alluded to it. So what is the ICF? And so I don't know, whichever one of you wants to take it first. What is the ICF? Well, I'll, I'll kick it off from. And we'll, what we'll do is we'll go from population health into personal uh, health care delivery. Uh, so from a public health perspective, the ICF is, as Rhonda pointed out, a taxonomy, a classification system that focuses on functional status. And it's akin to the ICD that we're very familiar with. Uh, we're currently using ICD-10 for the International Classification of Diseases. So the ICD focuses on um, illnesses, disorders, and injuries, whereas the ICF focuses on the functional status. And they're made or were made, created by the World Health Organization to be used together. So the ICF is a companion taxonomy to ICD meant to be used together and reinforces documentation and communication. Well, it's one of the best interdisciplinary classifications when you're wanting standardized language. You could ask any nurse, what does it mean when you say someone is total care? And you're going to get different answers. It helps eliminate some of those gaps. When you say it, you'll mean it. Everybody has the same language is what I would say. Mm, that's really good. Well, first off, so I think you might have alluded to in the beginning, Rhonda, but what does ICD-11 have to do with ICF? So the ICD-11s, already all the other countries uh, adopted those in 2022. If you can recall when the United States went to the ICD-10s, that was a really big deal. It was, uh, we can't think of the thousands of dollars that was spent on, oh, we've got this big thing. So what's going to happen is the Secretary for the Department of Health and uh, Human Services is tasked for the adoption pathway. We cannot avoid it, just like we could not avoid the ICD-10s. Eventually, the United States does have to adopt it. Now, the really wonderful thing is that the World Health Organization and some really great researchers got together, and they made sure that the ICD-11 and the ICF are integrated. So when you're looking at these folks who have these chronic conditions, you're going to be able to actually um, look at how an intervention would impact the severity of that patient's ability to perform their daily activities of daily life. Um, that is great for rehab. It's great for um, end of life. We get to those plateaus. And as our interventions are so darn good, 
It's not that they're not going to die. We just made the quality of life better. Mm. There's actually going to be a way to capture some of that. So ICD-11s are a big deal. Well, before we go a little bit deeper, I just I was doing a little bit of research preparing for our show. And I think, Rhonda, you're the first person I ever even heard the word a taxonomy. It's interesting. I'm trained <laughs> as an accountant, and I realized, oh, a chart of accounts is a taxonomy. And then I just looked up some other examples of taxonomy just to help our listeners. So some of us might remember biology. There's all these interesting taxonomies in biology, how it classifies living organisms. Library science has a taxonomy, the Dewey Decimal System. There's an e-commerce taxonomy. There's even an education taxonomy. Um, It classifies learning objectives into cognitive domains. There's an information technology taxonomy. Um, for example, the generalized in enterprise reference architect- architecture and methodology. <laughs> it's a taxonomy for classifying and organizing enterprise architecture components and relationships. And then, of course, there's business taxonomies that you use to organize and classify information within organizations. So a taxonomy is basically taking something very complex and organizing it into categories. Would you agree or disagree? Would you say it differently, Rhonda or Dr. Feliciano? I agree. I'd agree. I'd agree with that. <laughs> so how? So then the ICF is just a very it's a very complex, more holistic taxonomy. Has it been validated? How, how has it been validated? Oh my goodness! I think I think greater than sixty six percent of the hundred ninety one countries that um, use it and endorse it, they have done all types of different research. It is, I think greater than 82% of the different concepts have all been validated. So to put that in perspective, I don't know of any taxonomy other than the ICD-10s or ICD-11s that actually have that type of validity. Good deal. Now, is there any countries that have moved from ICD-11 to ICF yet or is not yet? It's part of ICD-11. It's part of it. If you're in, if you're in the 11s, you have access to... The ICF. Gotcha. So it's not that it would be the next generation beyond ICD-11. It's just the ICF was actually incorporated into it. So, um, but it, it, does America have a date where potentially we're going to go to ICD-11 or is it still to be determined? I mean, the only thing they have out there is the, I call it that runway that you could see where it talks about by 2027, we have to have a plan. We have to have adoption. Uh, considering we're coming up in an election year mm-hmm. next year, it's going to be interesting. It just depends on what the agendas are and how fast they want to get us there. Well, let's start bringing it down very practical for our listeners. And so what are some practical ways hospice palliative care leaders and staff can and should be utilizing the ICF? Dr. Feliciano, you want to take that high level on all the different areas, and then I'll go deep if we want to. Sure, sure. So, Chris, from a management perspective, or from an organizational perspective, the ICF is critical to strategic level thinking, management level thinking, and operations thinking. And you mentioned, you know, potential changes to the benefit. Well, if there are to be potential changes to the benefit, you would want to incorporate concepts of the ICF. For example, at the strategic level, we understand that populations can be very important, the management of risk in populations. So as you plan your expenditures for the next five to 10 years, it's, it's one thing to adopt existing um, information systems, but the one caveat is they don't all include 
a functional status description as available in the ICF. So that's one thing. From a management perspective, you have to be able to reduce waste. You have to uh, address quality, reduce costs. And so understanding and incorporating ICF into the culture of the organization is super important as well. And then finally, Rhonda can take this home at the operations level where the rubber meets the road, how to incorporate ICF information and concepts into documentation to support clinical decision-making, but also to support decisions that others are going to look at in the record. So, Rhonda. A really good example is you could take dementia. That is a very large population of what we're going to be serving. And I've watched hospices over the years. We get to, you talked about um, the failure to thrive. And sometimes our dementia patients are kind of somewhere in there, that ballpark. But if you have a bed-bound patient, you'll hear a lot of hospices during IDG talk about they're bed-bound. They've been bed-bound for three months. I would challenge you to use the ICF to show the mobility in the bed, purposeful bed-bound movement versus non-purposeful. Can they move side to side, up and down? Can they throw those bolsters out of the bed? And there is incremental decline that comes as the dementia progresses and their functional status declines that you could show those really tiny things that PPS will never capture. Rhonda, you just blew my mind with that comment about just, okay, bed-bound, but then there's a whole different, there's a whole other level of, of complexity but thought process the ICF gets. How do you educate nurses on something that feels so deep and maybe even more complex? It's actually what they were learning and went to school for. It is back to basics. Hmm. It's like, forget about um, the check boxes, forget about charting by exception. I want you to look at this person that you're taking care of and be really present. I mean, I think everyone who goes into TCN knows about being intentional, being present during a visit. And you look at that person. Um, one thing we get blindsided on is when someone says someone needs total care versus I restrict that person because of time issues. So you have to be intentional and you have to give that patient and that family, are we doing the care because this person cannot do it? Or you only have 30 Mm. minutes and it really takes them an hour and a half to bathe themselves. We really have to get into restrictions versus limitations because that changes the whole prognosis for our providers who are trying to make those prognoses based on what we're seeing at the bedside. So Rhonda, just listening to you, it, it seems like folks that have a little bit more of the pathophysiology or maybe someone like a physical therapy background, um, maybe a doctorate in physical therapy. Is, is Does it take that level of competency? No. So just speak to that a little bit. So we have taught hospices, um, certified nursing assistants across several states, how to use the ICF when they're doing ADLs with their patients. Um, I, I can just, I'm um, having flashbacks to hospices in Michigan, Ohio that we've helped And it was really those nursing assistants who got in there and everyone's like total care and they used those tools. And I'm talking simple. We're looking at can you walk? Can you transfer? Are you able to feed yourself? And there is no impairment, minimal, moderate, severe, or complete. And it is literally, Chris, I'm talking like there is a scale for what quantifies this person is now total care. And it's fast. fast Did you build those into the EMR, Rhonda? They can be built. There's some folks who, I call it, they hijacked their EMR and they build off of, you know, they give you text boxes or charting by exception. Mm -hmm. 
and they'll build off a couple of areas on just ambulation. If you would take, if you look at the PPS, take the ones that matter most, and this is what Dr. Feliciano taught me, ambulation and transfers, and then we'll get into nutrition. But when you start losing the ability to walk, things, the hazards of immobility that every nurse knows, those things will start happening. Same thing with transfers, and then we confound that problem with nutritional status. You can start with those three pieces of an ADL baseline, and you track those over time, and you're either going to see, Dr. Feliciano, you go into this deeply, was they continue to decline, they plateau, or it was reversible, and hospice does graduate. Yes, and, and Chris, one of the things that um, I've often spoken about is discernment, right, or the ability to um, tell when two points are different, and let me try to explain this a bit better, um, the human eye can see with a certain resolution. And when two objects are, or two points are very, very close together, you'll view them as one. But when you're able to really separate those two, then you see them, and, you know, the individual characteristics and can describe them better. So right now, without ICF, everything looks the same. There's no discernment. And with ICF, you can clearly see, oh, this individual or this population is different than this other population. And that makes a big difference in planning and also risk. Thank you to our TCN Talks sponsor, Delta Care Rx. Delta Care Rx is also the title sponsor for our May and November 2023 Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care Rx is primarily known as a national hospice, PBM, and prescription mail order company. Delta Care Rx is a premier vendor of TCN and provides not only pharmaceutical care, but also niche software innovations that save their customers time, stress, and money. Thank you, Delta Care Rx, for all the great work you do in end-of-life and serious illness care. Good deal. Well, let's kind of look with an eye towards the future. And so what are some futuristic ways that you can foresee ICF could be utilized and then maybe even try to think through also what might be some implications, maybe some systemic implications if people start utilizing ICF in more the futuristic ways. Well, I can I can just kick off here. Um, we're all hearing now about artificial intelligence. And it's like, oh my gosh, artificial intelligence, the computers are taking over. Well, no, artificial intelligence is very simply the application of structured information, structured class of information and using a computer to help you to anticipate and predict outcomes. So for example, with the ICF, because it's very structured, well-defined, well-accepted, and can be you know, implemented using uh, computers or digital, uh, digital media, you can begin to capture classes of information and then over time develop concepts. And those concepts are the inputs to a knowledge base and AI. And so, you know, in the future, right, you can have, uh, to boil it down, you can have an intake that utilizes ICF classes of information and based on an existing knowledge base, understand what the likely outcome is for this individual well, and better plan. Remember when we didn't have the information just, I would say, 15 years ago, and then all the research showed that if a 
especially a dementia patient, if they had a fractured hip, typically there's like a almost a terminality of one year. You know, they started having this prognosis. Fractured hip in a dementia patient is a really big deal. The ICF can literally stratify some of that population. It's like you'll start seeing these pockets. You know, there's going to be like, this is the, what we call the happy path of dementia. And here's the outliers. And these are, we know these items here, if this patient experiences the infections in addition to the aspirations, um, is going to hasten, if you will, uh, their prognosis. If they're having the best care, that gets into health determinants and social determinants of care. If they have that family, Chris, we don't capture that. And it's not that they're not dying. It's just that loved one sits for two and a half hours and feeds them three times mm -hmm. a day. You know, they spent 50% of their time getting the nutrition into that loved one versus if the person can't feed themselves. So, you know, the weight loss continues faster. ICF can capture some of that. I think that was what was fascinating for me. We can't capture that. Well, as we kind of go into the final kind of moments here, so if I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of hospice, palliative care leaders and staff, and they go, okay, this is fascinating. How do I learn more about ICF? Where should they start? How do they take kind of from today and start becoming just better educated, a better utilizer of ICF? What would you both say? Well, I would, I would start with the, the World Health Organization has a website. Yeah. Um, and the website really goes into detail, uh, a lot of detail about the ICF. The one thing that I would say, however, is that that should serve as sort of the uh, a resource. But operationally, what you need is a guide, you know, so someone who understands what the ICF is and also understands process engineering. And mm. because we, as human beings, if we're introduced to a great idea, we, we want to, we're excited about it and want to implement it all at once. Uh, but in the best of circumstances, what needs to happen is select a, a class of patients that you really are struggling with or that are really important to your business. Um, for example, at, at, while I was at Palmetto, what I did was I, created an LCD that focused on neurological conditions that use the concepts of the ICS. And the reason I did that, the reason Palmetto did that, is to encourage, to give the ability for hospice organizations to use the ICF and to have it within the framework of, hey, this is what this policy is was written for and is really trying to promote. And... Uh, some some actually did, and, and there's actually a publication in the Journal of Hospice Pedicure Nurses uh, from uh, a hospice in Georgia that implemented the ideas and utilizing the ICF specifically for uh, a Parkinson's patient uh, that's described. So, uh, if anyone's interested in that, that would seek out that reference. That's great. We might be able to provide that reference. Rhonda? I think that was the big thing is um, if you struggle with dementia, I know sometimes that's hard. And I hear folks talk about failure to thrive. If you will look at, make it simple, ADL baseline, you know, can they walk? Can they transfer? A lot of folks don't know. You, each of you could try this today. Um, if you don't have any restrictions or limitations, you're sitting in your chair, get up without using your hands. If you have a strong, healthy core, you can get up out of your chair without using your hands. 
Um, if you need to push off, if you need to rock, if you need to use a cane or a walker, you have some restrictions and limitations because of your body function. It's as simple as that, Chris. We could teach it. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Feliciano, Rhonda, any final thoughts? Well, for me, I, I would say that um, when it comes to uh, communicating functional status and its relationship to costs and health outcomes, it's important to have a common language. The ICF is that common language. I, I have to agree. Um, going across, really, the United States, I have always heard folks thinking they're all talking about the same thing. You taught me we're having a cat, Chris. And everybody thinks we're all on the same page and we're saying the same thing. And we are all, I've got a purple cat, you've got a Persian. Dr. Feliciano, you got a tabby. We're not on the same page, but we all were. We all thought we were talking about the same cat, but we're not. (laughs) Yes, and it's like, that's that's exactly the ICF eliminates that possibility is what I'm saying. Wow, that's pretty profound. Well, Rhonda, you actually picked the quote that we're going to close the show, and thanks to both of you. And I really do hope that the band is back together again, because I think there's some good work to be done in this area, Um, and we'll keep talking about that. But the quote that Rhonda chose is a great quote. It's by George Bernard Shaw. And I think it really gets to the point of this of this podcast today. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And in many respects, the ICF can start bringing some clarity. Well, gosh, we, we thought the patient was appropriate or whatever. You know, here's what our documentation says. It gives you a much more precise language for this amazing work that we do in hospice and palliative care. So thanks to both of you and to our listeners. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks.